and welcome to another Field Nation AMA, or Ask Me Anything, with Field Nation founder and CEO, Mainul Khan. If you missed the first episode, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Field Nation Dispatch. We will also share a link in the show notes. My name is Melissa Fonensteel, and I'm on the marketing team here at Field Nation. I am excited to once again be talking with Mainul and asking him more of the great questions you, our technician audience, brought forward. Um, again, real quick, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who submitted a question for this AMA. We received hundreds of questions for the first AMA that we did earlier this year, which was amazing. But this time we received three times as many questions. We were blown away by the participation. And we want you to know that our team read every single question and we had a really hard time deciding which questions to answer. Otherwise, we could have easily had a four hour AMA. So real quick, before we jump into this round of questions, like last time, we'll post a recording to a web page, and we will also post a transcript of the questions, uh, as well as any links we share so that you will have them for easy reference. So with that, let's get to your questions. Hey, Manuel, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to be with you, Melissa, and it's so fun to be back with the second episode of, of the podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Awesome, let's jump right in. So um, one really great question that we had and that I'd like to start off with is what kind of impact has COVID had on the freelance industry? It's a great question, Melissa. If you look at in the last 20 years or so, every time there is an economic disruption, whether it's recession, great recession, et cetera, each time it accelerated the adoption of on-demand work and created more opportunities for uh, freelancers. And each time the work landscape uh, shifted a little bit more permanently towards that on-demand work. And the reason for that, each economic crisis uh, worked as a catalyst uh, for businesses to challenge the status quo, uh, to, to find a better way to get things done. And, and companies are recognizing the strategic uh, value of a flexible workforce, especially it's true uh, for field service industry. Uh, and the drop in demand during the early part of 2020 was kind of a wake-up call for a lot of organizations. And a lot of organizations had you know, bench uh, of full-time employees, uh, the techs in the field, and they that used to be a selling point that I have full-time employees in the field. But when the demand went away, that staff became an expensive liability for them. Uh, so now more than uh, ever, companies are realizing that the variable cost of on-demand workforce is better suited to variable and unpredictable work volume. And they're turning to platforms like Field Nation to help manage costs while still delivering the high quality outcome. And there is one more thing, uh, the, the pandemic uh, kind of created this accelerated uh, uh, accelerated momentum for technology transformation uh, that was already underway, but, uh, but pandemic kind of accelerated, especially in the retail space where we play a big role. If you look at, look at most major retailers, you know, they had a five, 10 years technology transformation plan uh, for their brands uh, that will include how the consumers will experience their product, shop in their stores, 
and buy products. Uh, and due to this pandemic, uh, they had to finalize and execute all those plans in just a matter of 90 days or so. And so the first few months, you know, uh, of, although the first few months of, uh, uh, of the pandemic was, was tough in this industry, especially the retail, but we saw the volume uh, came back up quite significantly. And all this transformation work that's going into places right now in retail stores, that'll continue to be uh, a big influx of work, bring big influx of work for our uh, freelance community in coming uh, months and, and years. Got it. Thanks for that recap, Manuel. I know it's it can be hard to keep talking about COVID because everyone is kind of tired about talking about it and hearing about the pandemic. But I think there's some important takeaways for, for our techs to understand in terms of industry dynamics and where we as a platform are going and how COVID has has actually kind of accelerated the shift that many companies are, are making to, to using on-demand labor. So it's it's not all bad news. If anything, there's more good news than bad for, for our industry. You know, with that, let me just add one one other thing, Melissa. The first few months of COVID was tough on freelancers. The work dropped significantly, but the good news is that the work came back uh, rather quickly. And now with all the uh, new technology transformation going on, we are back on growth trajectory. And there is, you know, tailwind in the freelance industry and especially in the technology freelance industry, there's tremendous tailwind uh, happening. So speaking of that, um, our next question, knowing that more and more companies are, are turning to on-demand labor, especially in the on-site IT field services um, kind of area, we, we obviously aren't the only marketplace in town, right? So we had several technicians ask us, um, how does Field Nation plan to stay competitive with those other marketplaces? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And you can even generalize this question by saying, how do you stay competitive in business? And the way I think about it, Melissa, is that um, the first principle in beating competition is that it's not about competition at all. And it's all about your customers. We need to understand our customers better than anyone else and continuously add more value than anyone else and solve their problems better than anyone else. And how do you do that? One primary way to do it is by being the expert of our customers. One of our so-called competition claims to be serving every industry under the sun. If you're a jack of all trade, you are master of none. Uh, our focus is technology fuel service. And the companies from the industry that we serve trust us because of our expertise. Companies in field service wants to do business with experts in field service, and that's us. Because of our major focus and investment in this area, we expect to bring twice the volume of work in next 18, 24 months. And that means we'll double the work opportunities for our community. Also, we started offering different products based on customer segments and their needs. This has accelerated our innovation and our value add by customer segments. If you look at last 12 months, we introduced powerful tools that helped our customer gain significant efficiency through automation, introduced new data products that help our customers to find new growth opportunities and improve profit margin. 
We introduced new product and services for companies to more effectively vet and qualify technicians and build their talent network so that they can deliver work with higher quality. So there is tremendous push to add value to our customers, more value than anyone else. But there is something else. It's our approach to our community. We are building a lasting relationship with our community because our approach to building this company is to build to last for a long period of time with no time horizon in mind. Unfortunately, um, in last 12, 15 years, we had competitions come and go, and each took the approach of build to flip. What I mean by that, you build to a point that is good enough to sell to the next buyer. And from the beginning, your relationship with the community is transactional in nature. When you know you are building a company to last in that specific community with no time horizon in mind, you start with the transparent and honest communication because trust is everything. We had many competition, as, as, as you mentioned, um, and each of them, again, took this build to flip kind of approach. Uh, if you look at our competition, they all changed hands so many times. There is no lasting direction or value in those companies. Um, these companies sometimes don't take a, a transparent approach in, in communicating with the, with the community. For example, there may be some marketplace out there giving perception that it's, it's free to do work. But you know, <laughs> like any business, these platforms have to monetize. It's, it's never free. The question is around transparency. Are they upfront with their community about how they charge their fees? Because they are charging them one way or another. Uh, we don't hide the fact. In fact, we make it uh, more transparent so you know who is getting charged what and how we, the platform, making money. And, and we do it because we, it's a value exchange for what you get from Peel Nation. But beside trust and transparency, there's something else. Other marketplaces take a hands-off approach to their buyers and providers, telling them to resolve their disputes on their own. We believe in supporting the transactions between the buyers and providers, not just being a place where things happen, but we get involved when things don't go right. Uh, for that reason, we offer services like uh, uh, mediation assistance. So if there's any dis dispute, we get involved. There is 24-7 support. We have guaranteed payment. We have insurance uh, for risk mitigation and things like that. Those are so foundational to what we do for our, for our uh, users and for our, for our community. Sometimes it is easy to overlook the value um, until you really need them. I love what you were saying, Manuel, about the specificity and the focus that we have on IT field service. You know, if, if you think about what it takes to facilitate an IT field service transaction versus what it takes to facilitate, you know, a freelance proofreading gig or a freelance graphic design gig, um, night and day difference in terms of what a buyer expects around that facilitation, especially for organizations that want to use on-demand labor for IT field service at scale. Um, again, just night and day difference around what's needed on the buyer side and, and on the provider side to support 
those kinds of transactions. Right. To switch gears a little bit, obviously there's been a lot of chatter in the news lately around um, labor classification and just what's happening um, from a legislative perspective. So we received one question that I think is, is really good to touch on. Do you think efforts like AB5 in California are going to continue to affect technicians? And if so, what can we as technicians do to be more prepared? Yes, it's another really good question. So the short answer, Melissa, is yes, AB5 will continue to affect techs in California. But let me explain why our tech community need to pay um, more attention to this. The regulatory environment around labor classification continues to be a hot topic. And frankly, I feel our tech community is not in the loop of this changing regulatory environment that will have impact on their business and their livelihood. For those who are not familiar with um, Assembly Bill 5 or short AB5, um, it changed how companies engage independent talent uh, to provide services in California as of January of last year. Uh, under this law, many of our independent contractors may not be eligible uh, to work as free agent or independent contractor. Few other states are also looking at, looking at introducing similar bills. What we know from our tech community is that vast majority of our technicians are true business owners. They like the flexibility of being their own boss. They are hardworking business owners and in charge of their own destiny. Most chose to be independent uh, simply because they don't want to be someone else's employee. But as a result of AB5, more and more companies want to mitigate their risk by maintaining a business-to-business -business relationship with the, with the on-demand technician, technicians and service companies that they engage with. So what this means uh, for independent techs, companies looking to engage with technicians and service companies with an employer identification number or EIN, not just social security number or SSN. And it's really easy to get EIN. with from your state, uh, you can get EIN for free. Uh, you, you can apply online. I believe in most states, you can apply online and get an EIN for free in just a matter of a few days. And in, in addition to that, there are some companies, especially those in California, prefer to hire service companies that, are w, that have W-2 employees. Uh, we have a blog post that explains why technicians should consider getting EIN and how you can add the EIN number on your affiliation profile uh, as it will make you eligible for more work opportunities on the platform, not just in California. In, generally speaking, more and more companies across the country are looking to engage with technicians with EIN numbers. Again, I highly encourage our technician community to, to get an EIN from your state and add that on your affiliation profile. We'll, we'll provide a blog post link um, in the notes section as well. One question kind of related to that manual around EINs. One question we get all the time from, from techs is, you know, I'm new to the platform. I'm new to Field Nation. How do I get started? Do you have any resources around how to use the platform, how to market myself to buyers, and how to start getting work? Yeah, great question. Uh, first of all, welcome to Field Nation. We are glad you're here, uh, and I know it can be challenging to get uh, get established. 
because it's a competitive market and and uh, especially Fuel Nation platform can enable the trusted relation to, relationship to form between uh, buyers and, and, and the technicians, providers. Uh, the two parties, once they connect, they tend to uh, come back and have repeat transactions. So it can be challenging for a new technician to get started. With that said, the most rewarding experience for me uh, when I get messages uh, from tech saying how Field Nation completely transformed their lives. Just a few weeks ago, M Melissa, I got a LinkedIn message from a tech uh, who lost his job during the COVID. And, and uh, he got a message from a friend few states away saying, try Field Nation. And in just under six months, not only he survived, he started a business around Field Nation and expanded in few other states other than his home state. And his comment to me was, I can't wait to see all the amazing things uh, that happen, uh, that can happen to him because of this platform. And I can't wait to see that either. Uh, uh, and I get messages like this all the time. And this makes my day. And this gives me purpose to my job. And this inspires me beyond anything else. So building a very successful business is very, very possible, but it can be challenging uh, for a new technician. Before I point out uh, some resources that you can find on our marketing website, uh, there are a couple of tips I want to share with you. Number one, build a strong profile. Profiles with professional-looking photo are 38% more likely to get work. Profiles with skills listed are 63% more likely to get work. And techs who list their tools are 67% more likely to get work. And up to date, um, accurate profile definitely increases your chance of being found by buyers and matched with work. Number two, get a background check, a drug test, and an employer identification number, the EAN that I just mentioned just, just a few minutes ago. Many clients filter their search results based on these requirements, whether you have a background check, whether you have a drug test, whether you have EAN, all of this, this background drug and EAN that gives you a professional looking uh, profile, that gives you credibility, that gives you immediate trust between you and the, and the buyer. So uh, we highly recommend that, that you get all of this done. I'll give you one data point. Techs with background checks get twice as many work orders and make twice as much compared to techs without a background check. So it's such a good investment. It, it doesn't cost much. Once you get that, it increases your chance of getting work increases your chance of uh, earning more money through the platforms. I highly recommend you to do this. Number three, build relationship with buyers. Several techs have told us that they got started with Filmation by taking jobs that were perhaps they were overqualified for, but they established that relationship with the buyers by taking a lower skilled job. And, and that could be a great way to start uh, building the relationship and start taking uh, higher paying jobs and higher skilled jobs. Uh, and there is a, you know, a great marketing website called discover.fieldnation.com forward slash getting hyphen started. And you will have lots of, lot more information in there how to be successful 
uh, getting started with filmation. Awesome, I love those tips, Manuel. Next question is a little bit related. For those of us techs who are trying to cross-skill or, or upskill or align ourselves with the types of work that are growing on the platform, does Field Nation plan to offer any training courses in the future? That's a great question. You know, the technology is changing so fast and we need a way to make sure our, our technicians are always upskilling themselves and building our network of technicians is definitely a priority for us. And that means making sure we have enough techs who are trained and ready uh, for the additional work we are bringing to the platform. So we're exploring solutions like third-party skill assessment partners, third-party uh, training courses, um, and would be very interested to hear directly from the text uh, any specific ideas you have that we can bring to the platform uh, to help you upskill and in return uh, bring more skilled jobs and, and more uh, earning opportunity for our community. Awesome. So to shift gears a little bit here, we consistently get a lot of questions around pay rates. And given that we're a marketplace, um, one technician had asked, why do you allow companies to charge below the market rate for labor? Yeah, I think we talked about this in our last episode, but I think it's worth um, answering again. Uh, it's true that some companies are posting jobs that are lower than average rate, uh, but it's not, uh, it's not uh, uh, widespread. It's very concentrated among a handful of buyers, and it's not pervasive across the marketplace at all. Here's a data point. Work orders across the marketplace, across the nation, the value of work orders increased by $4 uh, between 2019 to 2020. If you consider the basic principle of supply and demand, rates of some types of work are going down because that work is becoming commodity and because there are more supply than demand. And here's a data point for that. The median hourly rate for digital signage uh, was increasing between 2018 and 2020, and then dropped between 2020 and 2021. Now, I'm not suggesting that digital signage has become a commodity work yet, uh, but we know that there is tremendous demand for digital signage, and there's more and more technicians are getting that, that skill, uh, skill set, and that's driving that price down a little bit. On the other hand, rates of some type of work uh, are actually going up because the work is more specialized and more there's more demand than supply. Uh, the, so for example, the median hourly rate for low voltage cabling has gone up consistently since 2018, has continued to go up uh, so far in 2021 as well. But we uh, frequently share insights about the, the rates and what type of work is, is trending up uh, what type of work uh, and the rate is going down, et cetera, on our blog post. And, and so I, I would, I would uh, encourage you to go check out our blog if you're interested to learn about what kind of work and what kind of skill maybe you should be getting uh, to increase your earning, earning opportunity. In addition to all of that, we are constantly working to bring new type of work on the platform. And usually newer type of work, new technology, uh, usually means uh, there, there are higher pay rates uh, for that as well. Another question that we got several times in this round um, was around the length of time that it takes some buyers to approve work. 
And I think this is a really important thing to discuss and, and important for techs to know what we're doing on our side to help expedite that. But um, one tech asked, why do some buyers take longer to approve work than others? And what is FieldVision doing to encourage buyers to approve more work more quickly so I can get paid more quickly? Yeah, it's, it's such an important question because approval time, uh, the time the buyer takes to approve have a direct impact of how soon the technician can receive their payment. So it's very, very important for our community that the buyers approve the work on a timely fashion. However, there are several factors that could decide how fast the buyer can approve the work order. Um, and some of the factors are, for example, how much work the buyer is running on Field Nation platform at any given time. That means there's, if there's a lot of work, that means there's a lot of work that they need to go through to approve work orders. How many people they have on their dispatch team is another variable. Uh, if they have a lot of work and not a lot of people to support those work, they, know, they may not be able to go through all these workers and approve them on time. Whether or not uh, they have to go back to the technician and ask them for additional information, the missing information, and so forth, uh, could also delay approval of workers. We do want to be transparent about average approval time. So techs can decide for themselves whether that's acceptable uh, for them to take it out from that specific company or not. So uh, you probably noticed that we introduced the average time to approve metric on the worker. So inside the worker, you can see how long the buyer takes to, uh, uh, on average to approve a work order. That will give you a very good sense, um, you know, how soon you will get paid and so forth. So you can decide whether uh, that's that's reasonable time frame for you or not. But we also invested in several product enhancements on the buyer side that will help the buyers to approve work orders quickly. Uh, so let me explain one uh, uh, feature um, that helped the buyer to automatically approve work orders. We call it smart audit. It's a very new, brand new feature. We recently released it. I think uh, only a few months ago, but I'm really excited about this feature. And here's how it works. The idea behind smart audit is that buyer can set criteria for a work order that they are comfortable for automatic approval. Uh, so let's say the buyer has a talent pool of trusted techs that they work uh, in the past several times, and they want to automatically approve those work orders completed by this by their trusted uh, technicians that are within a certain dollar range. And the smart audit could scan, this work order was done by a technician that's in the trusted talent pool, and it's within the certain dollar amount, go ahead and automatically approve. Nobody needs to review it manually. Another use case could be you know, uh, for companies with high volume and low complexity work that they don't need to go through all the details. They can configure the uh, smart audit uh, with all the criteria to look for, check for. And our smart audit system will automatically go and, and check all the, uh, all the requirements, uh, completion requirements by the technician. And if it finds everything is done properly by the technician, it will automatically approve 
the workloads. We are already working with some of our major buyers, and we are seeing a lot of success approving workloads really quickly because it doesn't require any human touch. And we are we are educating more and more buyers on this uh, smart audit uh, system, and hopefully this will expedite the uh, approval process quite a bit. I love that. Manuel, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that, that the focus of our platform is, you know, enabling buyers to do on-site IT field service work at scale. You know, the at scale piece is, is key because anybody can build a platform to do one or two work orders here and there, but, but scale is where the transformation truly happens for, for companies and for our techs and for our network. So I love that we have a lot of stuff in the works already to enable buyers and also technicians um, to make work happen at scale. It's really exciting. Here's a question that we got last time, but we got a lot of follow-up questions. And so I want to make sure that we address it for, for techs who are wondering, why does Field Nation take 10% of expenses when it should be a simple reimbursement for money that we as contractors put out to help our buyers get the job done? Yeah, we, we, we talked about it in our last episode, um, but uh, I'm glad we are covering it again. I think it's an important uh, question for our technicians. Uh, and uh, let me explain why we do it. To get right to the point, we charge a fee uh, for facilitating the transaction. It's a fixed cost of doing business to the platform. It's to cover the built-in expense management functionality that we have in the work order. And also to ensure uh, payment on those expenses go to the technician in a timely fashion. Without this feature, without the payment processing, uh, you'd have to manually submit receipts to every buyer you work with via email, manually track, and, and if you didn't receive the payment, then you have to follow up and so forth. So it'll be a very really messy. So we do believe that we add value to this whole expense management, expense reimbursement, and all the way to the payment uh, to our technicians. Regardless of the service we provide, we continue to hear feedback about this uh, fee from the technician. So uh, we do have a team tasked with evaluating how we may be able to better handle the expenses and coming up with some of alternative solutions. Um, so hopefully we'll have some information to share with everybody uh, uh, in, in, in next uh, next few episodes. I love that. It, it's been so interesting to watch, you know, the questions that come in, get reviewed by, you know, our team, by the leadership team. And it's been really kind of cool to, to see that feedback process and how it happens internally. You know, we evaluate the questions and the types of questions that we get in. We have internal conversations about it. We talk about the feedback. We talk about how we address it. And so I, I love to see just that kind of virtuous loop of us connecting with techs, techs sharing their feedback and questions with us, and that kind of driving changes that we that we make. That's that's great. Melissa, it may be um, important for our tech community to understand how, uh, who reviews all these questions. And actually, there's a lot of people, people get to see these questions, ponder on them, think about what, you know, how should we be solving some of the problems that our technician communities is facing? So, our, you know, when we get these questions, uh, Melissa, you, you meet with the product team, you meet with the support team, you meet with the customer success team, 
and then the leadership team gets to see some of these questions. So this is a, this is an amazing way. The the reason I love love this uh, AMA so much is because it gives us an insight to what's on our technician community's mind. What's what are the opportunities we have to better ourselves? Uh, what kind of opportunities we have, you know, to uh, to help out our tech community, and and so this process uh, is actually giving us an insight to our community, and the whole company uh, gets behind, uh, you know, reading these questions and uh, and uh, and think about, you know, what are those problems that we should be working on in the future. Yeah. So for techs who think, sure, I'll submit a question, but is anyone actually reading it? Is any change going to actually happen? Um, yes, and also yes. So. So keep submitting those questions because we're we're actually having conversations because of them. So um, anyway, to get back to the the AMA, we also had a number of questions around this, and so I I love that we're having this conversation too um, around buyers and buyer behavior. So one tech asked, why does it feel like buyers aren't being held accountable for bad behavior? Um, so they are accountable for we hold them accountable for bad behavior. Uh, that's a short answer, but let me explain. Bad behavior can mean many things, uh, but I think what we are talking about here is, uh, are the things that buyers do or don't do that can negatively impact tech experience. For example, not having sufficient or accurate information in the work orders or taking several weeks to approve work orders that we just talked about in the, in the previous question. Field Nation actually has an entire infrastructure to support buyer accountability, but a lot of this happens behind the scenes, so technicians probably don't get to see it. So let me explain. We have a team, entire team, we call it customer success team. Their sole job is to coach the buyer on best practices. We have a dedicated team, uh, we call support team, that reviews and adjudicates 10,000 cases, about 10,000 cases a year on behalf of providers and buyers. So our support and customer success teams are in constant communication with buyers' behavior uh, needed to be addressed and corrected. And um, what's different between the provider accountability and the buyer accountability is that uh, a provider usually on our platform means one person. Whereas, you know, typically, a buyer usually means a company and a team of people. And so a lot of time on the buyer side, bad behavior could come from one dispatcher. And so when that happens, we don't want to deactivate the entire company for an action from one person uh, because that could really make all the work that could come from the buyer disappear. Uh, for no, you know, no good reason for the whole company, right? It's just one provider uh, showing bad behavior. Uh, so the way to uh, act on it is not to take action on the company as a whole, but to work with the company to hold that dispatcher accountable. And we do that. We do that all the time. And of course, if a bad behavior is happening at the company level, will absolutely deactivate uh, the buyers. And we have in the past. We have deactivated many buyers in the past because of their irresponsible behavior, bad behavior. But 
if you see bad behavior happening, uh, there are two things you, a technician, can do. Number one, make sure you read the bio and include specifics so other providers can be made aware of exactly what you're experiencing. So that's really important that we get this feedback from you. So that's number one. Number two, create a case for Field Nation support with a detailed description of what's happening along with any documentation you have that will help us investigate and being able to spot trends over time, helping us bring actionable insight to our client-facing teams and also uh, to the buyer themselves. Thanks for that, Manuel. I'm super glad that, that at the end of your answer there that you told techs what they could do because it's one thing to, to see bad behavior, to maybe experience it yourself, but it's a whole nother thing to know that, that you have something that you can do about it. And I know that on the buyer side, a lot of companies um, actually do put a lot of stock in the tech ratings or in the ratings given them by technicians. You know, they look at those ratings and metrics at a corporate level, but if the data isn't there, then they don't have any idea that something is wrong. So please make sure that you do rate the buyer and include specifics and details so the buyer can become aware and so that we can partner with them to, to correct the behavior. Here, here's kind of a, a curveball question. So cryptocurrency has been in the news a lot lately. So we had a, a number of questions from techs around whether or not we have plans to offer cryptocurrency as a payment method in the future. Yeah, that's, uh, the short answer is, is no. We don't have any plan uh, to introduce cryptocurrency as a payment method. And the reason for that, it is, is, it is so volatile. Uh, the fact that you're asking the question, I'm assuming that um, you're, you're watching how volatile uh, cryptocurrency can be. And we don't think it's ready for, for a platform like Nation uh, because you know it's extremely volatile. Now, as it becomes more steady and stable, we'll certainly uh, evaluate that at, that at that point. Another question we received a couple times around um, app and platform functionality. Do we plan to allow the Field Nation app to integrate with other apps and tools like accounting software? Absolutely. You know, we, we are constantly integrating with different um, application and software that will help uh, our technicians and our um, and buyers. We do that all the time. But we do more for the provider integration. We do more for on the buyer side, frankly, uh, than on the provider side. However, uh, we are right now actively looking into all the options, all the popular apps and tools that our technicians use to make them more productive, make them more uh, effective in their jobs. So we're, we're looking into it, we're exploring it, and we would uh, love to learn from you directly, you know, what kind of software you recommend that we uh, integrate with. So there may be, a, uh, there will be a survey, I'm assuming, Melissa, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we are sending out a survey very soon uh, asking our tech community to tell us what kind of apps and tools we should be integrating with. Yep, that's that's uh, absolutely right. Um, like you said earlier in the episode, you know our our technicians are business owners. You know, even though they don't work for a company or they're they're not employees, they're business owners of their own business. And so it's it's 
it'll be interesting for us to hear and understand what techs use to manage their businesses um, from accounting software to, to other things. So, so yes, a survey will be coming out on that shortly. So um, if you see that, uh, please, please share your, your feedback. Here's a super fun question, and I'm excited to, to hear what you have to say on this manual because there's been a lot of conversation internally um, at Field Nation. But what's what's next for the company? You know, what what new milestone is the company aiming for? Yeah, I love this question. And I, I hope our, our tech community will be excited uh, to hear that uh, our goal is to double the amount of work by end of 2022. Uh, that's what we're working towards to double the work volume on our platform. So twice the work opportunity uh, for our tech community. So we are putting a lot, a lot of effort into uh, finding new buyers, uh, looking into add uh, more and higher paying work in the new technology segments. Uh, it's an ambitious goal, but we know the opportunity is out there. And like I said, there, there is a tailwind in our space. Uh, more and more companies are embracing this on-demand work uh, is a way to to do the work uh, in the field, and uh, and and we are really uh, well suited to take advantage of this uh, shifting landscape. That's super exciting, and and yeah, like you said, it it is really ambitious. But what I think a lot of techs don't understand is the work that we're doing on the buyer side to to help tell that on-demand labor story and to help get more buyers onto the platform. And it's it can be a hard story to tell, especially for companies who haven't used on-demand labor before, or they're, they're unsure about it, and they're not sure how to kind of operationalize their companies around it. Um, so it's it'll be super cool for us on the marketing side as well to continue to tell that story to, to more buyers, to try to convince them to put their work on the platform. So that work is always happening, but because the company's doubling down, on our efforts, the marketing team is also going to be doubling down on on their efforts to get that to get the word out around the success of of on demand labor. Right. So, last couple of questions for you, Manuel. Um, it's it's been fun for techs, I think, to hear from Manuel, the the CEO, but I think they also want to hear from Manuel, the the person, you know, the the individual, the the father, the husband, um, you know, all of that outside of your your CEO persona. So one tech wanted to know, what do you enjoy doing for fun? Yeah, I, I love reading books. Uh, that, that's my hobby. The, for last several years, there's a new hobby. I have, I have two young kids, uh, four and six year old. I love spending time with them. They're interested in, into, you know, in, in many new things that I never tried before, but because of them, I'm trying. Uh, so things like, you know, playing hockey or lacrosse or even fishing. I never, believe it or not, I never, you know, done fishing before. Uh, but uh, my kids, uh, you know, wanted to try it and that made me go try fishing. So, so yeah, between reading books and uh, spending time with my kids, uh, that, that's how I can unwind and relax. Awesome. And then last question for you, which I think is a, a really great one. Who or what inspires you? Yeah, it's a really good question. There is no one thing, um, but there are there are things that I'm constantly inspired by every day. Especially there are two two things that inspires me 
on a regular basis. So the first one is the, the people around me, my coworkers. And what's so interesting, the way I you know, think about it, it's so interesting that you know, many of our coworkers, they come from a variety of different industries. And once they get to learn about our company's mission, um, that we are we are we are here to break down the work, break down the barriers to work, uh, and how quickly they embrace it, they take ownership of our mission and our company's success, and 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 just get obsessed uh, with our customer success, uh, solving problems uh, relentlessly. That is just absolutely inspiring to me. And I, I look for those examples every day. I, I see these examples every day uh, from, from my coworkers. Uh, and the second one is, it's that example that I gave you before, the, 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 our tech communities, how they're finding tremendous success with our platform and building businesses around Phil Nation. When I get messages uh, from our technicians that, hey, you know, I didn't know about Phil Nation. I was laid off uh, and then I started with Phil Nation and now I have a business. And not only I'm, I'm in my home state, but I'm expanding beyond or I was one man shop. Now I have 10 employees of my own. That is just unbelievably inspiring to me. It just makes, it just gives purpose. Uh, to what we do. It's just extremely, extremely inspiring. And uh, it just fires me up every time I, I get a stories like that. I agree, Manuel. It's it's super fun to see the growth trajectory of so many of the techs on our platform. They They start small, they get their feet under them, they get established, and they just take off like a rocket in terms of the, the client relationships they have, the, their earning potential, their mastery of, of the platform and their their space. It's it's so cool. I'm I'm in awe of the techs who do work on our platform every day. It's it's so cool to see what they've accomplished. But with that, we are now at the end of this quarter's AMA with Field Nation founder and CEO, Mainul Khan. So as mentioned earlier, uh, you can check out the transcript of this recording for links to some of the resources that we mentioned. And we invite you to stay tuned for more exciting things coming your way. We'll see you next time.